0: You're listening to a Corridor Business Journal podcast. This is Tom Selick. I'm a senior vice president of a bank. I used to be a lawyer. I like to make connections. And sometimes amazing things happen. That's what this podcast is about. When the magic happens. On today's episode, I have my good friend Mike Jardine as my guest. Mike is the CEO and chairman of Herlin Express and has a great story to
1: tell. Right now, you know, people are kind of learning how important truck drivers are. They've really done a great job of keeping America moving during this pandemic. We haul we for Georgia Pacific. Well, guess what they make? They make toilet paper. And they yep. make paper <laughs> right? Yep. You know, so those guys have been going gangbusters trying to keep America in toilet paper. Uh, so.
0: so stick around. We'll be right back.
1: This episode of Tom's New Best Friend is brought to you by West Bank, a community bank since 1893, providing full-service banking and trust services to businesses and consumers. Nationally recognized by Raymond James as a top-performing community bank, prioritizing community, responsive to local needs. West Bank, member FDIC.
0: Well, today I'm excited to have Mike Jardine on the uh, podcast. Mike is the chairman and CEO of Heartland Express and a um, business person in in North North Liberty with a business that really services people around the country. So, Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tom. I thought we'd start with um, your current position. If I got that right, you're the chairman and CEO of Heartland Express? That's correct. Been doing that since about 2011.
1: Yeah, 2011 in, in this role, Tom, uh, but really, you know, I've been at Heartland Express my whole life. My dad founded the company in um, 1978, and that's when I started washing a lot of trucks and uh, uh, working out in the shop and changing oil and, and uh, changing tires, so uh, I've been doing it my whole life.
0: You might tell of some of our listeners, I mean, if you familiar what Heartland Express does and how large it is and um, your, your business.
1: Okay. So uh, we're a truckload carrier. Uh, We have Fortune 500 companies that we service. So when you think of Walmart, you think of Home Depot, Lowe's, Kellogg's, uh, Quaker Oats, Federal Express, Georgia Pacific. Those are some of our biggest customers. So anything that you see in those stores, um, chances are they've been on our truck at, at some point or another.
0: Right. And then um, you're a publicly traded company?
1: We are. We went public in 1986, uh, Tom. And, uh, you know, we, we started out uh, in 1986, we had $21 million of, of gross revenue. And uh, over the time that we've been public, uh, we've grown to uh, over $600 million in uh, in gross revenue. Uh, we started with 16 trucks uh, there in 1978. When we went public, we had about 125 trucks. And, uh, now we're, uh, close to 4,000 trucks.
0: That's, that's amazing. And one of your claims to fame, I think, is you, uh, you don't have a lot of debt. Is that sort of part of your management philosophy?
1: It is, uh, not a lot of debt is not quite correct, Tom. It's zero debt. <laughs> zero debt. <laughs> <That's> right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, we pride ourselves on that and, uh, we run our company, uh, very conservatively and, um. Uh, Watch uh, watch our expenses very closely at uh, at all times, and uh, nothing against bankers, but uh, we'd prefer not to have any debt.
0: Yeah, I should probably disclose that uh, Mike serves on the board of directors of West Bank, where where I work. So, you know, he's done a great job on on our board, so we appreciate that. Well, Thank let's you. go back to the uh, the beginning. Um, you grew up in Solon and went to Solon High School, is that right?
1: I did. Yep, graduated from Solon in uh, 1988.
0: Then you went on to uh, Luther College and played a little basketball and things there?
1: Yeah, uh, went to Luther College, uh, graduated there in 1992, uh, had a great time up in Decorah, a uh, really good school, and uh, uh, really enjoyed my time up there. Played basketball for four years and uh, uh, just was a, a great college experience.
0: Yeah, my son, uh, Ben, went there and that. Uh, it sort of changed his life in a very positive way. You know, he oh good learned a lot and made lifelong friends. It's just really it's been a major, a major positive factor. So
1: yeah, it's a then, special place. Yeah, it is. Sure.
0: Then along the way, you uh, met Nicole, right, and got married and when I did.
1: I actually met Nicole after uh, I graduated from Luther, and and uh, she was a uh, grad student down here at uh, the University of Iowa. Uh, so I met her. Um, after I graduated from, uh, from Luther.
0: Well, great. And then along the way, you've had uh, some children. Is that right?
1: Yes, we have four boys. Um, we have a very loud house uh, with those four in there, uh, but it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I've got an 8-year-old whose name is uh, Adam, and uh, Nicholas is my 12-year-old. Grant is 16, and uh, Clay is 19. Wow. So
0: you got one in college and three around the house.
1: Yep, yep. He's uh, he's over at Iowa State. Uh, Clay is, and uh, just finished his his freshman year, and uh, doing well over there.
0: Uh, you you, uh, I know you've done lots of things. that one of the things you do now, or you have been doing. You you coach the kids in the sports, that right? I assume with Nicholas and Adam, you're
1: probably still active doing that. Yeah, uh, you know. So I've coached basketball. I've coached football. I've coached baseball. Uh, really, for all the boys. Adam is just kind of starting right now, being that he's only in first grade. he's not really um, old enough to do all of those sports, but um, the other three uh, I've been been involved in in coaching all of them. It's been a great time, um, a lot of fun and um, <laughs> two years ago when clay was playing baseball and Adam was just starting, we had all four of them playing baseball and uh, between all four of them there was hundred and twenty two games of baseball <laughs> on our schedule that year uh, obviously it didn't make all of those games uh, for sure but uh, it seemed like every night uh, I was at a ballpark somewhere uh, watching or, or coaching baseball
0: well it sounds like a great great family and stuff but uh, I know you've had some challenges health challenges in your family you might tell us about Nicole's situation, and then Nicholas has some really amazing stories about how you've battled against, uh, I guess it's cancer, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, Nicole had, uh, breast cancer in, in 2012 and she's been, uh, uh, a survivor, uh, now for, for quite a period of time, uh, was quite an ordeal when, uh, she went through it because she was actually pregnant with, uh, with Adam, our youngest at that time. So she had to take some, uh, uh, the doctors had to take some precautions with her being pregnant. They couldn't give her uh, a normal regimen of uh, uh, treatment uh, because she was pregnant. So we had to do some special things and and um, go through some special tests and and uh, be really careful because of, because of Adam. But uh, it all worked out great. He's a perfect little boy and um, you know growing and and uh, has no effects. Uh, Whatsoever, and, and Nicole uh, is a, a cancer survivor uh, for over five years now. So, um, really fortunate uh, uh, to to have the University of Iowa down here and, and the great uh, the great work that they do for many people.
0: I know that Nicole Layeff then come very active in leading the Strands of Strength fundraiser to help people who have uh, you know cancer and lose their their hair.
1: Yeah, uh, you know she. Um, she is leading the, uh, the strands of strength, uh, charity here in Eastern Iowa. It's really grown to be quite an event. We thank West bank for, uh, for supporting it. Uh, another, uh, director, um, whose wife is, uh, Deb Pulver and Bob Pulver. They, uh, they operate the one over in Des Moines and, uh, really it's, uh, it's a great charity because all the money goes directly to the wigs, uh, that, um, that many people can't afford or need help when they, when they do get cancer and, uh, and lose their hair. It's a, it's a traumatic experience for, for many, many women. And, um, you know, to be able to uh, hand out a quality wig, let them go to the, uh, the spa or the salon and, and get it, get it uh, custom made the way that they want it. Uh, it helps out women um, in, in many different ways. So, Nicole really enjoys being part of that uh, that organization, and uh, and I think it helps uh, people that have cancer, especially women.
0: Well, it's a great event; it really makes a difference. And then, of course, uh, you think that'd be enough for one family, but then um, you might share the story about uh, Nicholas and his battle.
1: Yeah, so in 2016, um, it, was, it was kind of a funny story to, to be to begin with. Nicholas was nine at the time. And, and he'd been bugging me for cats. And I was like, Nick, you, you can't have any cats. Uh, I'm allergic to them. A couple of your brothers are allergic to them. It's just not going to work out. We're, we're not going to get any cats. Well, he kept after me and finally he was smart enough to get Nicole on his side. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we got two cats. Uh, so about a week after we got the cats, Um, I came down to breakfast, uh, one morning and Nick was sitting there and his eyes were all puffed up and I'm like, Nick, you're allergic to cats just like I am. And and like your brothers, we're going to have to get rid of these cats, you know, and luckily Nicole took him to the doctor to check his allergies and they took his blood and, uh, the blood work came back and, and we got the phone call and and the doctor said, Nick's not allergic to cats, but he has leukemia. And so that was totally unexpected uh, and, you know, threw us into quite a, threw us quite a curveball. then we took him down to the University of Iowa immediately and uh, started going through and learning what leukemia was, which is cancer of the blood, basically. Uh, there's a lot of different strains and um, a lot of different uh, names for different portions of, of cancer, but Nick's is, Nick's was, uh, blood cancer, leukemia. So we started down that path and, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was quite, quite, uh, an ordeal for us because two or three days into his cancer treatment, um, the doctors were very concerned because Nick wasn't responding to any of the, uh, the chemo or any of the drugs that they were giving him. He had a very um, special type of cancer, uh, we'll call it, and uh, it was a very um, irregular one uh, that was difficult to uh, difficult to treat. And right off the bat, uh, Doctor Modi told us, you know, this this type of cancer that Nicholas has, we are not. Um, the experts in this area. If you can go to Philadelphia uh, to the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, that is the best place uh, that has the, the most advanced treatments and uh, the most clinical trials uh, that could could help Nick. And so, off to Philadelphia we went, and um, you know we got there, and there was a uh, a, a trial that was closing actually called CAR T cell uh, treatment, which uh, was recently approved by the FDA. Nick, they had a uh, hundred slots of um, of the trial that were available for uh, for children. Nick was actually the 100th patient, the last patient in to the trial uh, to try. And um, what they do is they they hook Nick up to a machine. They withdrew his blood uh, from the machine and his T-cells, which are inside of the blood. They took those T-cells out of Nick's blood, and they, put it, they take it to a lab then. And uh, for about a month, they changed these T-cells into cancer-killing cells. So they mm-hmm. manipulate the cells outside of the body. And then after about a month, they put those cells back into Nick. And so it's putting his own T cells back into him, uh, but they're cancer-killing cells at that point. And this was just a trial, um, like I said, in 2016, and it worked really well on, on some kids and some kids it didn't work at all on. And so they told us that you know once Nick got his T cells back, that he was going to be really sick. And uh, he'll he'd have to go into the hospital, probably into the intensive care, um, as his body fought the cancer. Well, they gave Nick's T cells back to him, and it didn't affect him. It uh, uh, he was he was perfectly fine. There was there was no reaction. So, you know, for about a month there, you, you have to let the T cells take their course and, and fight the cancer. Um, and usually, most kids are really sick at that point. Nick wasn't sick at all. And he, um, so naturally, Nicole and I thought, well, this treatment isn't working for Nick. But we had no way to be able to tell that, uh, because you have to let it go for a month. So um, we were really worried and and uh, wondering what we were going to do next, because uh, we didn't think that the T cell treatment was working. But after a month, they uh, they did the tests on Nick, and his T cells had uh, cleared out all the cancer in his bone marrow and all the cancer in his body, and totally wiped out every bit of cancer that he had. It worked 100% for Nick, and um, we were so thankful. Um, couldn't believe that uh, that it worked so well for him, with him not being sick for one single day, uh, but but it did. Uh, and so from there on, um, we had to go to Seattle, uh, and we were in Seattle for his bone marrow transplant, Nicole and Nick moved out there for about four or five months, uh, during the fall of 2016 and the beginning of 2017. And, uh, we, uh, we got his bone marrow t- transplant taken care of out there. They did a fabulous job at the Seattle Children's Hospital and, um, He's been been good ever since. So uh, that's
0: an amazing story. It's quite a family story too with Nicole and then Nicholas. You know,
1: it's, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sort
0: of bad luck, good luck, I guess that this you it worked out.
1: Yeah, it's it's been really uh really good. So he's still got to go to treatments and checkups down at the University of Iowa with with Dr. Modi and and uh, they keep a close eye on him until he's at least 18 years old, and he's 12 right now. So. Um, yeah. So far, so good with Nick.
0: Well, good. I know you've been busy in your business, but you also have some hobbies. I, as I recall, you um, after your college basketball career and playing a little basketball here, you started to to run, and then um, you moved on to marathons, etc. Tell us the, the running marathon Ironman story.
1: Well, you know, I I played basketball for so long, Tom, and and that's just what I did and what I loved. But after you get done playing college basketball. Um, you know, pickup games at the field house aren't as good as they used to be. And, uh, you know, it's hard to find a way to keep exercising, uh, playing basketball. Um, so I just started to run. And, um, you know, I I started off at a mile and then I went a couple miles. And, you know, one day I went five miles. And, you know, then one day I decided, you know, I'm just going to run as far as I can until, until I can't run anymore. I've just wanted to see how far I can go. And, and that day I went like 12 miles, I think. And I just kept at it and kept at it. And I, and I made a goal that, uh, that I'd run a marathon. And so I did that. And uh, that was a lot of fun. And um, I, I liked it. So I, I kept doing it. And um, I made a goal then next to uh, running the Boston marathon, uh, which I was fortunate enough to running the Boston Marathon, uh, actually the 100th Boston Marathon was, was the one that I participated in. Uh, so that was, uh, that was quite an experience and I, I've ran in marathons all, all across the United States and, um, I've done about 20 total. And once I got done doing marathons, um, I kind of got tired of doing them towards the end and I, I needed a new challenge. So, uh, I decided I was going to do an Ironman. And uh, I started off doing a sprint Ironman, and then I did a uh, an Olympic or an Olympic triathlon, and then I did a half Ironman, and I worked my way up to uh, doing an Ironman. The first one I did was in uh, Madison, Wisconsin, in uh, in two thousand nine, uh, and uh, and then I did another one uh, in Phoenix, Arizona, in in two thousand and fifteen, and you know those those are. You start off swimming there, and you you got to swim two-and-a-half miles, and then you jump on a bike, and you ride 112 miles, and then you get off the bike, and then you run a marathon, which is 26.2 miles. So did that twice. <laughs> how long <laughs> does that take you?
0: What's, what's, what's how much time?
1: Well, it's, it's a timed course. You know, you have to be out of the water in two-and-a-half hours, or they pull you off. Uh, I think you have to be off the bike in, like, 10 hours or they pull you off. And then you have to be done with the marathon, the whole thing, in 17 hours. Wow. So, um, you know, the winners will do it somewhere just under 10 hours. You know, most people are uh, in that 15, 14, 15, 16-hour range. And uh, that's about where I was, about 16 hours.
0: Well, that sounds... Uh... I'm tired just thinking about it. You know,
1: like biking 100,
0: that's like you can bike almost to Des Moines.
1: I mean, well, miles. from from here, if you if you started, think of it this way. If you started on one end of Lake McBride and swam all the way around the horseshoe to the other end of Lake McBride, then you got on your bike and you rode to Des Moines, yeah. uh, jumped off your bike in Des Moines, and then you ran to Ames. That would that would be a, a triathlon, uh, <laughs> well, I'm glad you
0: stopped I mean that's uh, that's, uh, that's a lot of stuff yeah well good well let's uh, let's talk back back about the business um uh, Tell us what the um, I don't know sort of what the challenges are in your competition why why are you successful what makes heartland a, a great carrier?
1: well you know the thing that we pride ourselves on the most uh, Tom is delivering on time for our customers and um, and being debt free, and being safe. Uh, those are those are the three things that we try to do every single day. Uh, take care of our customers' needs, make sure our drivers are, are being safe, hiring the right people uh, to be safe. and, um, and not overspending. Uh, making sure that we we stay disciplined and uh, make sure that we're um, not overspending in any area and, and watching our finances. So, but really, the success of our our company is based on service, and uh, we have some very difficult uh, lanes that we cover for some of our customers um, in major metropolitan areas. Um, on-time delivery is very important to them. Uh, if you think about Federal Express uh, and the on-time that their company is built off of, lots of their on-time services based off of what trucks do before they get to the airplane, right? Mm-hmm. And so when we pick up a load for Federal Express and they tell us that they want it there at 10.23, that's what time we have to be there is 10.23. You know, we can't be 20 minutes late uh, because the plane will take off and is gone. So, you know, it's it's very time-sensitive stuff that, uh, that we handle for many of our customers. Um, if you think about automotive plants, we haul a lot for Ford, uh, you know, we've got a load of wheels that's coming out of Kansas city, Kansas, going to, uh, somewhere in Detroit and it's gotta be there or, uh, you know, it shuts down the line, uh, if they don't have the wheels. So, um, we, we pride ourselves on being able to deliver, uh, tight windows and, uh, be on time for our customers and, and, uh. They pay us a good rate for that, and uh, therefore we can pay our drivers a good rate and uh, keep the wheels rolling uh, down the road. But most importantly is is being safe. And uh, you know when you when you think about trucks out there, uh, it, they've gotten so much safer over the last few years, um, just with this, the safety features that are on the trucks, lane avoidance, uh, collision avoidance. Um, they're much more um, Safety safety minded trucks than even 10 or 20 years ago. So it helps us do our job right as well.
0: Well, and I, how you, the list of customers that you talk about are just like a who's who, the Walmarts, the Costco's, the Home Depot, Lowe's, Quaker Oats, Kellogg's. Federal express, Kimberly Clark, how do you get them as customers? Do you call on them? What's, what's your,
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. You got to call on them. And, um, you know, we've, we've had these, luckily these relationships for a long period of time and, you know, they all started off with just one load and now we do, um, you know, hundreds of loads a week for, for all of those customers. So, um, it's a buildup of trust and uh, it's a buildup of us knowing them, what they need as a customer. And, And it's a, Uh, a function of them knowing what we do, what we do best for them as well. So you just work on the relationship and you work on the lanes, you know, a a customer like Walmart has thousands and thousands of lanes all across the United States. And, and we try to pick out the best, you know, couple hundred that work for us and work for them Uh, might be difficult lanes that other carriers have, uh, have trouble covering um and maybe we uh we can cover them better because we have more drivers that are in that area or um we've got uh, uh better equipment uh in in those areas or we got more volume you know it's a combination of all those things that uh that make us um desirable uh carriers for for our customers
0: i think you told me before too that one of the keys is the drivers is i guess it's hard to find them you got to keep them and um, so that's that's one of your priorities, right?
1: Yeah, drivers is, is definitely, the, you know, none of us have a job without our drivers out there, and uh, taking care of them, taking care of their home time, making sure that they uh, they have a good paycheck um, is, is really difficult uh, for, for a lot of uh, carriers and for a lot of people. There's only 3 million truck drivers in America, and they're so important to uh, everyone in America and, Right now, you know, people are kind of learning how important truck drivers are uh, to them because they've really done a great job of keeping America moving during this pandemic. Um, while a lot of people are sitting home and uh, and working from home, a truck driver can't work from home. You know, his right. home is yeah. in the truck. And that's what he does every day is, is drive that truck, whether he's delivering loads of cereal or he's delivering uh, loads of steak, or he's delivering um, anything that you find in a grocery store, or like I said, a Walmart. Um, you know, it it just doesn't appear in these places. You know, it has to go on a truck, and uh, these drivers have done such a great job um, during this time. I'm I'm just so proud of not only the Heartland drivers, just the truck drivers of America for uh, for keeping the supply chain going and uh, and keeping everybody uh fed and uh having the things that they need. You know, we we haul for Georgia Pacific, Tom. I was uh I was telling you about well, guess what they make? They make toilet paper. And they yeah. make paper towel, <laughs> right? Yep. You know, so those guys have been going gangbusters um ever since the pandemic started trying to keep America in toilet paper. Uh so, you know, we've been hauling lots of loads of toilet paper and uh lots of loads of bottled water and uh and all of that stuff that uh, that we all need. So but, you know, it's a, it's a hard job. You know, these guys drive somewhere between 22 and 2,800 miles a week, every single week. You know, they're in their truck all day driving somewhere between, you know, 8 to 10 hours a day. Then they sleep for 8 to 10 hours a day. So they don't have a lot of exposure to uh, the outside world. Um, and if they really want to be isolated they can really isolate themselves and so um, that's that's one good thing about being a truck driver is they're in that truck most of the day and they can stay clear of uh, stay clear of the virus hopefully uh, we've we've only had a handful of drivers that uh, have tested positive and uh, that's been really lucky on our part
0: also i think you said there's now you regulated that trucks have these Electronic devices they monitor how many hours they can drive or they sleep. Is that
1: right? Yes, that's correct. Yep. It's just like an airline pilot. You know, they can only the airline pilot can only fly so many hours a day, and a truck driver can only drive so many uh, hours a day. And it's and it's electronic log. It's tracked by satellites and uh, different devices that can tell once the truck starts moving how long it moves, how many hours it's been going, how many miles it's gone, how fast it's gone. So it, it's heavily regulated by uh, by the government.
0: Yeah, well, we should talk briefly about the um, the generosity of you and your family and your your sisters involved too. But you got the I know at the University of Iowa, you've helped out with the Jardine Athletic Learning Center, the Hope Lodge, the generous gift to the Children's Hospital, right? And then besides that, you've been active at Iowa State, and also you and I, and I think at um, I think the stolen school system has benefited from your generosity. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I think you've hit most of them there, uh, there, Tom. You know, um, my mom and dad started off um, with nothing, really, and uh, my mom was a schoolteacher, and uh, and dad was just trying to piece together a few trucks to to uh, make a living, and they really lived off of uh, mom's schoolteacher salary uh, when they when they started. So. My mom has always been um, highly uh, motivated to help out learning centers. And being a teacher, you know, Solon Schools, University of Iowa, Iowa State, um, UNI, all of these things have kind of fell into into place as, as we've been able to donate uh, money to them. And, and we've been really uh, happy to do so, uh, really happy that... Uh, Uh, Students of Iowa have been able to uh, uh, take advantage of of the the money that we've done for the buildings and and the the College of Business at uh, at Iowa State University in the Jardine Business Building. We're actually uh, finishing phase two of that. Uh, It's an expansion phase over there, Tom, where we put up the original building, uh, which was a really nice building there on campus, Uh, but uh, the business portion at Iowa State grew so much, uh, they, get, they started out growing the building. So, you know, we were fortunate enough to be able to donate some more money over at Iowa State and, and uh, build on to, uh, to the existing building. You know, in the projects at, at Iowa, we've been uh, really proud to be a part of and, and glad. You know, certainly the, uh, the Children's Hospital was, was a big deal for our family and uh, the Athletic Learning Center really was one of the first athletic learning centers, I think nationwide. Um, when we started that, um, many years ago, uh, we just finished the, uh, expansion, uh, that, that, uh, finished off the third floor and, and redid the, the whole inside of, uh, the athletic learning center. So, and certainly the, uh, the Hope Lodge has been a big deal for, uh, for people that come and, uh, and treat at the university of Iowa. So that's, uh, one that's, uh, Really paid dividends to to many many people, and uh, we're we're happy to, to be able to uh, to donate to to all of these projects.
0: Well, it's amazing. It's it's a it's a great story, and it's made a big difference in the, well, especially in the state of Iowa, whether it's you know eastern Iowa or whatever it names. We probably should wrap this up. I would like to talk briefly, to just Give me your thoughts on the economy. I think you once said, the truckers know first when things are." when truckers start getting busy, that's a good sign. So what's, how's, how's the future look for the economy?
1: <laughs> well, let's back up just a second, Tom, you know, and, and, um, before the virus hit, you know, our, our economy was rolling along really nicely, really well. Um, you know, we had, we were experiencing, um, the lowest unemployment rates in maybe history uh, certainly, here in Iowa, it was very low, um, and then and then this virus hit, and um, you know everybody started panic buying all this toilet paper and food, and we were very very busy through the through the end of March, but then uh, the panic buying stopped, and people went home and they stopped working, and um, they closed businesses, and still some are closed as we know across the United States. So then everything got slow and we're still in this slow period right now as states uh, start to come back and, and open businesses and and get things rolling again. Uh, It's very slow. Uh, Our unemployment numbers are now the highest that they've ever, ever been. I think before they were the lowest that they've ever been to the highest. And, you know, it's all happened here in six or eight weeks. So um, getting back, um, into, into business and, and getting things rolling again is what the economy needs. Uh, you know. But of course, we have to be careful with, uh, with how fast people open up and, and uh, what we've learned about the virus and, and try to control those numbers as best that we can. Um, so I, I think the economy uh, will be good once everything opens up again. It's just a matter of time, a matter of how long it takes everything to get started once again sure I'm, I'm confident it'll be fine once everything starts again but you know some states were a lot worse off than Iowa were and some states were better than Iowa was you know so it all depends on on uh, this timing issue so uh, should be should look a lot different two or three months from now than it than it looks right now for us so we're, we're hoping that uh, things get I don't know if they'll ever be back to normal, normal, but um, I think that they will uh, be much better than they are today.
0: Well, that's encouraging news. Well, anyway, well thanks for your time today, and uh, it's great to uh, have this opportunity to hear your story and share it with our, our listeners, so
1: um, we'll keep in touch. Thank you so much, Tom. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Tom's new best friend is brought to you by West Bank. This Corridor Business Journal podcast is produced by Joe Coffey of Coffee Grande Studios. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at CB Journal.